This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So tonight we're going to talk about Moshe Rabbeinu, the whole Shemos, Vayikra, Vamidvar, Devarim. The next four, four books is Moshe Rabbeinu is the, is the main star. So we have to understand a little bit the source of who he was and where he came from. And um, all of us can really be leaders the same way. We want to go back to in Pasha Shmos. So, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was put into a, a basket. The basket was put into the Nile River. And Basio, or Bisio, as the Megish calls her, the daughter of Paro came down to the Nile River. Is the Machlokas why she went down to the Nile River? Some say she, she came to become a ger, a geiress, or she went to the mikvah in the Nile River. And some say that she had very bad leprosy, Taras. So she came down because she needed to bathe in cold water. But well, anyway, she came down to the Nile River. Bateves and she saw this little basket, this table, in the middle of the Nile. She sent her maidservant. Rashi says wasn't her maidservant, but she actually sent out her hand. And as you all know, her hand stretched and kept stretching. I remember I was a little boy. People my age remember this little cartoon character named Gumby. And Gumby was the type of guy that he could just stretch all the time. So my, when I was a kid learning this, I imagined that Batya was Gumby. And she put out her hand and just kept going and going and going. By Tiftah, she opened up the basket. By Tiray was Hayeled. She saw the little boy, the little baby. And a young lad was crying. She had pity. She said, this has to be a Jew. Okay, there's a couple of questions here. And we're going to tie the whole night together. Number one. Hashem doesn't do a miracle unless He has to. Why did He have to do this that her hand stretched out thousands of feet into the Nile River? Why didn't He just bring a wind, a, a wind right? And the wind would have blown the basket to the, to the shore. And she would have taken the baby out of the basket. Why should she have to stretch her hand out and it keeps going? Bring a little wind, right? Also, just an interesting thought. If Miriam put the basket in the Nile, how far could she have put it out of the water? Miriam was a little girl. So it seems to be, I bet you no one ever thought about this question. How did he get to the middle of the Nile? It says it was in the middle of the Nile, it was far away. A little kid, how old was she? She was, I don't know, three years old, five years old? Six years old? So how far could she, she only could have put it at the beach, on the, on the, on the edge. So Hashem had to take a wind and something blew this table, or waves, took this table out. Specifically, it's very important, he took it out so she would need a miracle to take it back. But normally, if she put it there, 
It would have just stayed at the edge. So it seems to be that this miracle of the hand stretching, two questions. Number one, how to get out there. Number two, why do a miracle? If it was out there, why not bring the wiggle and blow it back in? It seems to be that this stretching of the hand had to happen. She didn't tell her maidservant to go blow, to the little rowboat, go out there and bring the basket in. This had to happen. Okay. Now, the Pussing says that she opened the basket and she saw a baby yelling. But, there was a, a, a young man crying. So, there's many reflections on this, that his voice was not a baby's voice, it was the voice of a young lad, because it was the voice of the whole Kleistrel, all the pain of Kleistrel. That's a little out there, I mean, it's a medrash, whatever it is. But I heard something very, very amazing, which is important for our theme tonight. But there was a young boy crying, it wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. It was Aaron. Aaron also went down to see what's going on. And when he saw that an Egyptian princess was taking his holy brother, he began to cry. And she had pity on the kid that was crying. This little three-year-old, Aaron and Moshe were three years between the two of them. So this little three-year-old is standing on the banks of the Nile, and he's hysterically crying. But Tachmol all of it, she had pity on him. She said that this baby that's in this little basket must be a Jew. Why? He didn't have a yarmulke. He wasn't wearing scissors. And if you're going to say he had a bris every Egyptian had a bris because from the times of Yosef, Yosef made a law in the land that every Egyptian had to have a bris So how did she know that this kid was a Jew? <coughs> so I believe it's the Kutzka that says, because when she saw that there was a three-year-old kid crying for another little baby, it must be a Jew. Because the one thing that Abadjah Basparo knew is that Jews cry for Jews. An Egyptian little three-year-old would not be crying for an Egyptian kid in a little basket. So by Allah, she had pity on Aaron, but Tahmoyabli said, this kid must be a Jew. It's a very beautiful shot. Okay. And Moshe Rabbeinu grew up, the little boy grew up, but they the next parrot, they brought him back to Masparo. Ayilo the bed, and she adopted Moshe as her child. But think was Shemal Moshe. Why? She named him Moshe because she said, because I took him out of the water. Ladies and gentlemen, there are three reasons that we got out of the trine. Sorry, Karen, man, I, I move. I'm a little ADHD. You gotta stay with me. There are three reasons. We didn't change our language, we didn't change our dress, and we didn't change our names. Moshe Rabbeinu had a Jewish Hebrew name. His name was Tuvio. He he was born with a light, he was born with a bris. His name was Tuvio. Along comes an Egyptian woman and gives him an English name, an Egyptian name, and she calls him Moshe. And the Torah keeps the Egyptian name. The whole reason we came out of a tribe was because we didn't change our names to Egyptian names. And now our leader, right, 
His name Moshe, who named him? An Egyptian woman. Came in a Miami, she seagull. Because I pulled him out of the water. Doesn't make any sense. So I used to teach sixth grade in a yeshiva, um, non-religious kids. Crown Heights Yeshiva in Lubbock. This, this is just for anyone who's a little bit tired and dozing off a little bit. Just tell you a little thing that happened in my class many, many years ago. So this kid was listening. He wasn't listening. I'm not sure what was going on. And I was teaching Pasha Shmos. And I said that the reason, one of the three reasons that the Jews were sent out of Mitzrayim, that the Mitzrayim sent us out of Mitzrayim, was because we didn't change our clothes. And this kid says, 210 years, you didn't change your clothes? No wonder they say drive and try. <laughs> All right, that's for anyone who knows it all. That's a true story. He just copped one of the things that I was saying. So here's the point. You know that Bhakti Basparo was one of the few human beings that ever that went to Ganadin alive? Well, Yohan Nabi went to Ganadin alive. Sarapas Asha went to Ganadin alive. Bhakti Basparo went to Ganadin alive. What did she do? What did she do? That she went to get Nathan alive. Rivka, Imenu, Rachel, Imenu, Leah, Sari, Imenu, Moshe, Rabbeinu, Dovid, Amalek. No, they didn't go to get Nathan alive. Yaakov didn't go, Abraham didn't go, Yitzchak didn't go. The daughter of Paro goes to get Nathan alive. What did she do? She put her hand out, and God made a miracle. She's not the first one to have saved a Jewish life. There are, we know there are non-Jews, Shinlis, as we know there are non-Jews in the Holocaust that saved Jewish lives. We know there were, there were non-Jews in the Spanish Inquisition that saved Jewish lives. She's not the only one that ever saved a Jewish life. Why does she deserve to go to Ganeiden alive? So, there's a Sefer which has helped me very much in the last month. I was very hurt by someone that I'm very close to. Very hurt. And my whole life I've been working on myself. I used to have a temper as a kid, to get rid of my temper, to forgive people, to see the good in people. It's work. It's definitely work. But this person really hurt me, and he hurt me deeply, and he continues to hurt me. And I couldn't let it go. The first time in my life that I held a grudge, and I couldn't stop talking about it. So I went to Eretz Yisrael, I was in Eretz Yisrael, I went to a very big gun, his name was Rabbi, Rabbi Gross, B'nai Brach, a very big gun, and I told him, I never had this before, I, I can't get this guy out of my heart. I went through stuff when I was in third grade, I, let, I forgave that rabbi. I went through stuff. I've gone through stuff my whole life. I forgive everyone. This guy, I cannot let go. There's a very famous story. I forgot who the Gadol was. Oh, I think it was Hassan Seifer. And he, went, he was in a shul, and someone got up and embarrassed him in front of the whole shul. He didn't stop. He just kept embarrassing him, embarrassing him, embarrassing him, the whole shul. And finally, he got up, and he went over to this man who was embarrassing him in public. He says, I don't understand. Why are you embarrassing me? I never did you a favor. What a true comment. No good deed goes unpunished. 
there's many other stories like that. I could not get this guy out of my heart. My wife said, this is not, I never saw you like this. You just, you just, you just not let it go. So I went to this, this big tzaddik and I told him, I don't know what to do. I, I just, I can't be Michael. I just can't. So he told me to buy a safer, Toma Devora. There's a, there's a uh, in the farm store, I don't know if they have it here in they probably do. There, there's a, an English Toma Devora put out by Feldheim called The 13 Attributes. If you read that book, your life will change 100%. You will hold no grudge ever on anybody in this world, no matter what they're doing. Okay, I bought the book and read the book. And if this guy would call me tonight and say, I need you to fly back to New York, I, have, I need a favor, I'm there. Totally flip me. It's gone. I have no grudge. And there are 13 attributes, and I'm not going through the 13 attributes tonight, but if you want to do yourself a favor, buy, buy yourself that book. It's by Feldheim, it's Thomas Devora, it looks like a black and white cover. And it's the 13 attributes, and I promise you, if you read it from one end to the other, and it's easy reading, your whole life will change. You will, you will not be uptight. You will not have anxiety. You will not hate people. You will not. You will get along with everyone. You will be able to see the good in the in the people who hurt you the most. It's, it's a game changer. I never thought. I never. I never read a safer that changed me that fast. Now, why am I telling you this? Because you look like a very good therapist. No, but the reason I'm telling you this is that the main thing that's in the book the whole time is that we are created we are created in the image of God what does that mean? who in this room no I'm not going to ask that who in this room thinks they're God but who in this room right thinks that God looks like you and Selem comes from the word Tseil Tseil is a shadow the shadow always takes the shape of what a shadow is the shadow of a ball will never be square. The shadow of a box will never be round. So when you go outside and you're under the light, yeah, sometimes you're a little teeny guy, sometimes you're really big, but there's going to be two hands, two feet ahead and a body. A shadow shadows the object. So how, what does it mean in the Mishnah when it says that every, every, not only Jews, every human being is created in the image of God, in the shadow of God, that we shadow God. What is he? Looks like us? So one answer, the answer that I've been talking about in the past, before I got to this book, is how are we like God? That every single person in this room is a chod. Shema Yisrael HaShem Elokeinu HaShem Echad. There's one God. There's one Miriam. There's one Chaim. There's one David. You were never here before. You will never be here again. You're here now. And you're one. And even if you're a Gilgal, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgal of, of shame, he was a Gilgal of Noah, but he wasn't Noah, and he wasn't shame. Gilgal means you have a DNA marker from that Nishama. But you are, you know, everyone asks me, like, to come back, who, which one am I going to be? Right? Which Gilgal, what husband I was married to, and maybe a hundred years ago, another guy, who am I going to be married to? Everyone has all these questions, there's no questions. Because there is no other you. There is no other you. You are a mixture of, could be many different souls, but you are you are who you are. 
And therefore, God gave us something that is not normal. That's only godly. And there's one Zechariah Wallace, my mother says, thank God. But there's only one. Finish. There'll never be another Zechariah Wallace. And there never was another Zechariah Wallace. It's over. So this is my chance. So at the same time, it makes me very special. I'm not a school of fish. I'm not a herd of antelope. It makes me very special. But it also puts a very big responsibility on me. Because I'm not getting a second chance at this. This is who I am. So that's the image of God. Everyone here, that's it. You're going to walk out of here tonight. You need to know. That's it. You're the one. And every second you're on this world, you can change the world. But once you're gone, you can change nothing. This is it. This is the world. This is the trip. This is it. This is the voyage. So, that's how I always learned it. But when he brings down the Tome of Devorah, is that we're created in the image of God, that we have godly midos. Just like, this is the example that he gives. He says, a guy comes to another person, let's say Ruben comes to Shimon, and he says to Shimon, listen, I need a thousand dollars, could you lend me a thousand dollars? Ruben says, I, I don't have any money. Shimon says, I know, but you, you could collect. Could you collect for me? He goes, collect? I don't collect. But you know what? For you, Shimon, I'm going to go collect. And he goes door to door, and he puts a thousand dollars together, and he goes to Shimon, he says, Shimon, I did this for you. We never do this for anyone else. Here's a thousand dollars. Three days later, he gets a lawyer's letter from Shimon. He hired a lawyer to sue him because he's a little bit, his driveway is a little bit on his property. Ruben goes right to Shimon and says, are you crazy? I went and lent you a thousand dollars and you should hire a lawyer to sue me? You took my money that I lent you that I made myself crazy and you went to sue me? Are you crazy? Should he forgive him? He lent them and he did all this so that he should hurt him? Should he forgive him? For one second. God does this every day. God gives us life. He gives us the ability to see. He gives us the ability to hear. He gives us the ability to speak. And we take that and use it against him. When a person doesn't have Beira, who gave you the life to be able to do their better. When someone looks at something he's not supposed to, who gave you the vision to be able to see? When you listen to something you're not supposed to, who gave you the ability to hear? When you speak Russian Haro, who gave you So Hashem's like, I don't understand. I gave, I gave you the thousand dollars, and now you're sending me a lawyer's letter? Now you're using the life that I gave you? Nobody can sin without Hashem giving them life. And Hashem forgives. And the next day, He gives you life again. And he gives you vision again, and he gives you be able to hear again, and over and over, and you keep taking the money that the thousand dollars, and you keep throwing it in his face, and you keep suing him, and you keep doing our various, and he keeps giving it to you. So this is what he says in Tamar Devorah: If a human being, if a human being can forgive someone who he helped, and that person is now hurting him. He forces God, because we're only humans, he forces God to do the same for Kleistrom. This is the first attribute of 13. To give us an understanding that a human being has the power 
to be godly, and if he is, he can force Hashem to forgive Klai because he is willing to forgive someone that really, really hurt him. And that's what the Pasuk is talking about in Horatius. When in Horatius it says that Hashem Baruch Hu created us, right, in his form, that's what it means. Okay. Let's get back to Pasha Shmos. It's all tied in with each other. What she did is she put out her hand. She took an action. She didn't stand on the side of the Nile and say, Oh my gosh, I'm the baby. What are we going to do? Who are we going to call? Who's going to help us? She said, My hand can't reach him, but God's can. So I'm going to put my hand out. Hashem, if you, if you wanted to reach that little baby, it will reach him. If not, not. And a great tzaddik said something unbelievable as mom resonated with him. Is as much as a miracle to lift your hand and put it out as for your hand to stretch. Do you know what it takes in a human being to lift a hand? Do you know what goes on in the stem and the brain and the nerves and the muscles and everything that has to happen in order for a person to move down? If someone has a stroke, Right? And those parts of the brain are not working correctly. They cannot move their hand. So this big topic said, you think it's a miracle that her hand stretched. She understood. No difference between putting out my hand, it's just as much as a miracle, and then going to the back of the room. And therefore, Hashem said that the leader of Klai the leader of the Jewish nation, in its hardest time in the tribe, has to understand that he has no power. His whole power is to stretch out his hand. I'm going to show you insights. It's amazing how the words in the Torah. She, a person's name is who you are. We see from all the names. Yaakov, of the heel, Esau, because he was hairy, Ruben, Rashis, Aini. Everyone in the, in the Torah that has a name, there's a reason that the Torah gives a reason for Shimon, for Levi, for Yehuda, Oida, right? Each one of them, Yosef, right? Everything. So our names, everyone in this room, your name, however you got it, whatever it is, that's your source. It's who you are. Name is who you are. So Hashem said, Tuvya, nice Jewish name. Kitaibu, born with a bridge, born all lit up. But that ain't going to help the Jews. Because there was a woman that named you because she put her hand out when it was impossible. That has to be your name to be a leader in Kleistrom. You have to understand that you have to put your hand out even when it looks like you can't help anybody. And therefore, even though it was an Egyptian name, it stuck. And that explains something. It happens a little bit later. And I, you know, I was the principal of the school, the assistant principal of the school, and I used to speak to the teachers um, before we opened up the year. And I used to tell them the, the following. Moshabenu was in the Midbar. Moshabenu went through a lot. My three favorite people in the whole Tanakh are the three that went through the most trauma. Yes, Matzalik, he's the man. I spoke for months about it. What he went through, 
and that he, he, he understood that it came from Hashem and it had nothing to do with his brothers. Unbelievable. Yes, adopted, abandoned, didn't know, brought up, didn't go to yeshiva, went to Cairo High. He was brought up in the palace of the king. He came out, he didn't know his identity. Is he an Ish Mitzri or is he an Ish Yehudi? He couldn't talk. He stuttered. He lisped. His tongue was burnt, which is also totally unnecessary. It would have been just as easy to put a, a little ball, right, a little ball, and a crown and see if he goes for the crown because normal babies will go for the ball. So the whole test was to see if he goes for the crown if he goes for the ball. But no, hot coals. Who came up with that idea? Put hot coals in front of a little kid. Why would you think that a kid would go for hot coals over gold with beautiful, shiny, diamond crown? What kind of test was that? How does that show that he wanted to take the kingdom? You put burning hot coals in front of the kid. Put a ball. Put a chocolate candy. Put a lollipop. It seems to be that the idea was given because Moshe Rabbeinu's tongue had to be burned. And his lips had to be burned. So he couldn't talk, so he stuttered. You can imagine in a world of Mitzrayim, that having a disability was not very acceptable. And then he runs away, he's a refugee, ends up in Midian, ends up saving a bunch of girls. What does Yisrael do? He throws him into a dungeon to kill him. Right? Again, no good deed goes unpunished. He goes and he tries to save uh, the, these two guys from the, from, the, from the Arab that's trying to kill them. He kills the Arab. What do they, these two guys do? Instead of saying thank you, they go tell Paro to have him killed. His whole life, anything he helped, you want to know about no good deed goes unpunished. Whatever Moshe Rabbeinu did for Kleisma, for anybody, they complain. He took it out of the triumph to die in the midway. He took it out of the triumph to die of thirst. He took it out of the triumph to die of hunger. He took it out of the triumph to go into the land where there's a bunch of giants. Whatever he did for them, totally unappreciated. He's my man. And David Amalek. All three of them. All three of them. Challenges. His father in law tried to kill him, Shaul. His son of Shaul tried to kill him. His, his wife. Everybody tried to kill David Amalek. Everyone took a shot at him. What did he do? He wrote to Hill. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do with his pain? He led Kleist Rabbeinu. What did Yosef Atali do with his pain? He saved the world. So when people clutch about what they're going through and all their pain, just look into the title. There's more pain in the title than any book you'll ever read. Who wasn't in pain in the title? Dina, after Shem assaulted her. Sorry, Rabbeinu didn't have children for 90 years. There was no born in Olam at that time. Who, who didn't have pain? Who didn't go for Rivka? You want to talk about a boy off the Darach, Asaph? Who didn't have pain? Leah cried till her eyes were swollen. Rachel died in childbirth, never saw her second son. Yaakov Avinu, what happened to Dina? What happened to, what happened to his wife Rachel? What happened to his son Yosef? He came to Mitzrayim. Paro said, you look really old, man. You look really old. Nice guy, Paro. No compliment. You didn't see the man. He said, you look really old. He goes, yeah, I do. I've gone through a very hard life. You got punished for saying that. I went through a very hard life. Who had a good life in the Torah? You want to go? You want to see trauma? Go through Navi. The Torah is not a book of, of happy days; just the opposite. The Torah is a book of a lot, a lot of trauma. But every single person that was involved in every single trauma became a gadol, a tzaddik, a savior. And that's what the Torah tries to teach us. So Moshe Rabbeinu ran away. Where do you go when you can't deal with people? He went to the desert. That's it, I'm out. I'm out. And just when you think you want to be out, like Yaakov and Vayeshev, 
He's out with his sheep. Shalom Aleichem from the burning bush. I'm Hashem. Turn around. Go back in the triad to the guys who try to kill you and tell them in the triad that he came to save them. Very nice. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu say to our and I tell, this to, I tell this to my boys and to my girls that I teach all the time. You need to know that they were human, or else we don't have to learn the Torah. We don't have any books about angels. He's a human being. Shabbat was a human being, but he overcame. He overcame his, what he went through. So Bible says, go to Mitzrayim. Bayan Moshe. Bayan he says, Behem loyaminuli. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to a word I say. Hashem said, go to the tribe. He said, ah, no one believes me. They're not going to listen to a word I say. And on top of that, Hashem, they're going to say, hello, you made up the whole story. God never appeared to you. You have to remember, everybody, Moshe Rabbeinu did not live in the triumph. The one that was going through all their pain and their rabbi in the triumph was Aaron. Moshe wasn't there. He walked out of the palace. Okay, so he lived in the palace. The day he walked out of the palace, he killed the Mitzri and he had to leave. He never suffered. Not one day in the tribe did Moshe Abedo suffer. So you think the Jews are going to accept the guy who showed up for Midian? Hey, I'm in the Midian. God came and told me, let's go, everybody. Like, who are you? Who are where? You didn't suffer. Where are you? Where are you coming from? That's what he told Hashem. They're going to say you never even appeared to me. So you think Hashem would, you know, this is this is the old. I don't know if there's any therapists in this room, but this is the ultimate therapy session. Young man walks in and says, "Nobody believes what I have to say. No one's going to listen to me." So the ultimate therapist of the world, the creator of the world, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, I'm looking for some amazing. Maybe CBT, maybe DBT, maybe EMDR, I don't know. Some kind of crazy session. Here's Hashem's answer. Hashem. What is that in your hand? He answers a stick. Where's the therapy here? And what a chutzpah. I'm sitting in class, the kid sitting in front of me is eating a bag of wise potato chips. And I'm like, Chaim, what is that in your hand? He better not say wise potato chips. I'm looking at the wise potato chips. If I'm asking him that question, it means put it away. Don't be a wise guy. Hashem is asking him, what is in your hand? A stick? If Hashem doesn't know it's a stick, you better not be going to betray it. What kind of answer is that? He should have said, Hashem, what are you trying to tell me? I know what I have in my hand. You know what I have in my hand. What's the message? And what's the answer? We're going back to his name. Kimenamaya Mishisiv. Hashem said, I don't understand. They don't believe you. They don't think it ever happened. He said already seven times, Kikfata, I have a, a, a thick mouth and I have a lisp and I can't talk. And I can't go to the trial like this, right? 
I don't understand what you're saying, Moshe Ben. Who do you think you are? You can't do anything. It's me. You're the messenger, but the power is me. And you should know that because your name is Moshe. And you come from someone who put out a hand that couldn't do anything. But I made it happen that you were saved. Keep it mind, Mr. Seal. You should know. You are a mate. You are a stick. And a stick has no power, no life, no energy. The power of the stick is the hand that holds it. Strong hand, strong stick. Hand to the left, stick to the left. Hand to the right, stick to the right. So Hashem said, what is that in your hand? Don't you understand? You have no power. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, ah, a young man, mate. I'm a stick. I don't have any of my own koyach. Hashem said, but you're going to be the leader of Christ, so you need to learn a very serious lesson. Take the stick and throw it on the floor. And Moshe Rabbeinu thought, okay, stick in the hand of Hashem, Jew in the hand of Hashem, has the power of God. Stick out of the hand of Hashem is a stick that has no power. Okay? You're either in the hand of God or you have nothing. Hashem said, no. Throw it on the ground. What happened? It turns into a nachash. Hashem said, no, no, no. You're either a stick in my hand or you're a stick. Once you're not connected to God, it's not like, okay, I'm a good person. I'm okay. I'm an atheist, but I'm a good person. I'm all right. Okay, I don't believe in God, but I do nice things. No. Hashem said, no. No, you're either in my hand or you're a nachash. Moshe Ben said, I cannot be the leader. You cannot be the leader of people. As long as they're in your hand, they're a matter. But any Jew that goes off the derech, is it nachosh? He was, he was 20 feet tall. He wasn't scared of snakes. He said, I'm out of here. But Yonas, I'm out of here. Like Yosef, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be responsible for all the snakes in the Jewish nation. Hashem said, you don't have to be. He says, beautiful. Shlach Yodcha. Shlach Yodcha, his name is Moshe. Send out your hand. What does it remind you of? Fight your Baskaro. Send out your hand. For Ahaz Biznovo. Grab onto him. Be him. And what happens? In your hand. If you take a Jew in your hand and you help him, he'll come back to being a stick in your hand. He'll come back to being a Shlich of Hashem in your hand. Don't leave him on the floor. Grab him by the tail. Don't go head to head. This is not a head to head thing. Grab him by the tail. Give him a little shuffle. He'll become a mate. He was getting a lesson. What it means to be a leader. So you would think after this, he's going to go to Mitzrayim. Nope. He says, I'm not going. Why? He made a kavachoma. Gam. Shulshon, he says, from, from the past till now, you didn't fix my speech defect. I'm going to go in front of Paro, I'm going to be stuttering and lisping, and Paro's going to say, I should, be I should have fear of a God that can't fix your speech, and he's going to take out of the trunk, he's going to make me, they're going to ridicule me, Hashem, they're going to ridicule you. Surely God can't fix his mouth! How is God going to take it from the strongest nation in the world? Hashem, they're going to make fun of you, and they're going to make fun of me. Hashem says, this is the big one. 
and I tell this to kids that are, that are, that are going through trauma and going through problems and kids that have learning, learning I, had, I, had, I had ADD, I had a hard time learning. Who gave you that mouth? Who gave you the ability to hear? Who gave you the ability to see? I'm the one who gave you the ability. And therefore I also gave you the disability. Who do you think gave you the disability? Who do you think set up that you're going to stutter? Who do you think set up that you won't be able to talk? I set that up. But you need to know something. Go now. I will be in your disability. I will be in your mouth. I gave it to you. I will give you the ability to overcome it. Not only will I give you the ability to overcome it, I will give you the ability to use your disability to become a superstar. And I have seen that over and over and over again. Because the person who goes through trauma and the person who goes through disability understands the other people that are going through the same thing. And therefore, there's no better helper than someone who went through it themselves. And one of those guys is standing in front of you right now, and I would not be here if I wouldn't have gone through what I went through in third grade and in other times of my life. Trust me. And therefore, the greatest ability of a person is when they use your disability. I know someone that was born paraplegic. He, um, he couldn't walk. He had no use of his legs. He started the wheelchair Olympics in basketball, Special Olympics in basketball. And that became like, one of the biggest parts of the Special Olympics. What a person goes through, the reason we go through it, we don't choose to go through it, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't choose to not be able to talk, is because we can use that disability to help others. Shimshim Pinkus said something amazing. He said, really, you don't have Bechira, you don't have choice in life. The big choice is man, man or woman. You're born a man or at least till this generation, you're born a man or a woman. Jew or not Jew. Who your parents are, that's huge, not your choice. Who your siblings are, not your choice. Unless you're a, a, a Gare, being born a Jew is not your choice. Where you live, at least your first 18, 19 years, not your choice. So then your schoolmates and friends at the school that you went to, your parents sent you. So he said, like, what's your choice in life? Just vanilla and chocolate. And who you marry, 40 days before you come down to the world, they announce it. So, so what is... What are the person choice like? What are we doing here? Might as well be just an apple tree. Be an apple tree, right? So whether your phone goes off or doesn't go off, not your choice either. Put <laughs> <laughs> the sound off. It's okay. He says, what's a person's choice? So Shimshim Pink is all Michelle said. The only choice you have in life is what you do with the things you have no choice. Step in or step out. A lot of Jews went through the Holocaust. My parents went through the Holocaust. My grandparents went through the Holocaust. There's no judgment on anyone who went through the Holocaust. It's not even something that, that anybody could understand. And if somebody stepped out, he's not being judged. I guarantee you he's not being judged. But there were people who had a choice to step in or step out. The whole generation in America is all here because they, came, they, they decided to step in. They came to America and they stepped in. And look now at the generations 
that, that Clyde Israel has built. Look at how many yeshivas. Look at, look at everything that we have. Yes, we have a lot of problems, but we have a lot of problems because we have Baruch Hashem, a lot of children. And just, it's just, I mean, there's never been this much learning, and there's never been this much chesed, ever, in the history of Clyde Israel, ever. And that's because a group of Jews who went through hell, probably worse than hell, said we're stepping up and we're stepping in and we're not giving up and we're survivors. There are victims and there are survivors. We're survivors. And they don't talk about a lot and a lot of pain, but they stepped in and it wasn't their choice. They didn't pick Holocaust at six years old and 14 years old. Nobody chose it. So in life, I deal with a lot of girls that have gone through a lot of trauma. Not one of them has chosen it. But the question is, what do you do with it? Just for a minute, I'll just take you off for one minute. We'll get, we'll get back. I had a choice to step in or step out. I had a reason to step out. Baruch Hashem, I had parents that loved me so much, and I knew that they loved me because they had they had no friends, not because they weren't friendly, but their friends were their kids. And the way you know if someone loves you is if they give you not money and not cards. They give you time. Someone's willing to give you time, that means they're willing to give you the most precious thing they have. Money is not the most precious thing a human being has, and covet is not the most precious thing, and Elmo is not the most precious thing, and all the other toys and stuff that we buy, and cars and all that stuff. The most precious thing a person has is life, and we'll fight for every second of that life. And therefore, it's very hard to share my time. And if someone gives you time, you know, I deal with this all the time in Shalom Bias when I meet couples and you know they come 12 years married 20 years married 30 years married 6 months married doesn't really make a difference and I always let the wife I'm doing this a long time I got smart I always let the wife say first and every woman says the same thing they all say the same thing you know why I'm here around Wallstein because he just doesn't love me and every guy reacts the same way what? you see it's her fault and I'm like what do you mean how do you know he doesn't love you you need something you shouldn't be doing. He goes, no, he's just so busy with everybody. He just, just, uh, I, you know, when we dated, we couldn't get off the phone. You hang up with me, you hang up with me, you hang up with me. No, I'm not hanging up, no, you hang up with me. And then 12 hours later, my mother was freaking out, where are you, where are they? But we couldn't stand, and then all of a sudden we get married. He's, he's, he's either he's learning, he's davening, he's, he's doing business, he's talking to his friends, he's playing basketball. What happened? Doesn't give me any time. So every guy says the same thing. But, but Rabbi Wallstein, I paid the mortgage. And, and, and I got her, I just bought her a car. I don't know what's wrong with her. And she's like, my father paid the mortgage too when I lived at home. And he also got me a car. So they're like, so these guys are like, so what can we do? I'm like, I got a great idea. Go away for three days together, just the two of you. I'll, I'll set up the mother-in-law, whatever, the kids. And just go, go to Florida, wherever you want to go, but leave your phones at home, right? And just go, the two of you go away, there's a place, there's a place out in Mexico, um, forgot the name of it, whatever it is, uh, where, where you go and there's no phones, there's nothing, the phones are away, nothing works, just a husband and wife, and there's no television, and there's no phones, and there's nothing, nothing works up there, let's have a satellite block or whatever it is, and, and you go there, and there's husband and wife, and it says, bring a book, bring a safe, bring whatever it is, Las Cabos, there's these little villas, each one's private, has its own pool, Perfect, you go down to the bottom, there's a hotel, there's the young, whatever, the winter. It's like the best place in the world. But you can't. 
But the guy tells me, listen, either one or two things happen when they leave. Either their marriage got a lot stronger or they get divorced. Because <laughs> they realize that there's nothing else to do. They're looking at each other. They don't really like each other. But the whole day they're busy. They, you know, it's okay. I'm like, I don't know, Greg. We'll see. So go, go away for three days. Husband and wife. Three days. No kids. No phone. For, 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 for it's really working for me. No phones. No kids. Amazing. So the guy looks at me. He says, can I ask you a question? Three days? I'm like, yeah, three days. He goes, Ritsufim, like in a row, could I do like one day and then like another day and another day? It's very hard to give time for three days to another person. There's nothing more precious than giving time that really means that you love someone. Story that happened here in Florida. I was speaking, wow, oh, way back. Like right after the Crown Hotel, I don't know, whatever, way back. Whatever. I was speaking somewhere there, in fact, I don't remember which hotel, whatever. Just they wanted me to talk before Mincha for half an hour. But like tonight, I went a little bit over. Not yet, but I will. Um, not much, not more than, I never go over more than an hour. So, so I got, I was speaking, and, and all the people in the back were like waiting for Mincha, and you were getting the whole... Anyway, they were listening to me talking, you know, it's a very long share, it's not tonight's share, but about giving time and, and, and whatever it is and how important it is and it can change a person's life when, you, when someone gives you time. And then finish, I finished, I finished, finish. this older man came over to me, he says, Rabbi, you don't even know what you said. He was in the back for the last 15 minutes. I'm sure you know, I'm going to get over my head now. I said, what do you mean? Very famous man, very wealthy, wealthy. Name is known in the Jewish world. He said, You know who I am? I'm like, I know who you are. I've seen your buildings with your names on it. He says, I want to tell you something. He says, My mother was in the Holocaust. She had, she was married and she lost her husband. She lost a couple of little kids or whatever it was. She came back to America. She got remarried. And I'm her only child. I want you to know my mother never told me she loved me. Ever. She says, he's an old, famous guy. And he said, from a wedding, I really, you know, before we went down to the chuppah, that she, you know, I'm going to make up a name, Yanko, I love her, I told him. Right? Not. After the chuppah, I went over to my father, I said, Dad, Tom, right? Mom didn't say anything. I said, listen to me. There's nobody in this world, including me, father, that your mother loves more than you. You're her only child left in the world. But because of what she went through, she's scared of losing you. And she's scared it's going to happen again. So she, she doesn't want to connect in that way. <laughs> Through a while, three days before she died, I'm in the hospital. I'm sitting next to her. And she's up, in and out, in and out. And she said, Yanko, come to my bed. Come close. Come close. And he's thinking, oh my God, he knew his mother wasn't going to be here much longer. She's going to say it. She's going to say it. You know, she knows she's not going to be here much longer. He says, there's something I want to tell you that I never told you. He said, Rabbi, you don't understand. I was shaking like a leaf. He says, yeah, Mama, what? He says, I just want to tell you, I am so proud of who you are. 
closed their eyes and she died two days later. Said I never heard another witness. Sir Wallstein, I made $142 million on one deal with the Japanese in Manhattan. And walked out, I thought I was God. In those days, $142 million. He said it was the best day of my life. He said, I have children, I have grandchildren, I give tzedakah, I have power, I have everything. You know who I am? I'm like, I know who you are, he says. It's nothing. It's zero. Compared to the moment my mother said to me, I'm proud of you. All of it is nothing. He said, you don't even know what you're saying. Go up till you die, he said. You keep talking about it. You tell people to tell their kids that they're proud of them and that they love them. Oh, my kids know. No, your kids don't know. Say it. Show it. Because all the money and all the other stuff, you think your kids are happy. The most important thing to a child is to know that their parent is proud of them. And their parent loves them, and their parent gives you off the derech, and they're doing the worst thing in the world. Just like Hashem doesn't give up on us, one of the attributes, till the day you die, till the last second you breathe, a parent is never allowed to give up on a child. Ever. By your mind, Yaakov with his nachim. Yaakov refused to be comforted by Yemoy and Yosef. Yosef refused to be with Potiphar's wife. Says Rav Shimshin, how did he have that power all the way in Mitzrayim after he went through the abuse of being sold and being left alone and no Jews and everything that he went through? How did he have the power to turn away the most beautiful woman in the world, Potiphar's wife? Because by Yemoy and Yaakov, because he knew he had a father somewhere out there that knew he wasn't dead because there was no body and that my father doesn't give up on me, I won't give up on me. The parents only understood that. It's when the kid thinks that you gave up on them, that's when they give up on themselves. And I was not going to speak about this tonight. I won't. It's not in my notes. It has nothing to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. But someone in this room had to hear it. I don't know who. Maybe me. But I say it till before I walk in. And my till before I walk in is that it should come out of my mouth what you need to hear, not what I need to say. This is not part of the share at all. I don't know where it came from. But I'm telling you, and then if a kid goes through trauma, and I went through trauma, I'm standing in front of you because I had parents that I knew were proud of me and loved me and thought I was the greatest thing, my brother and my sister, the three of us, the greatest gift they were ever given, and we as children knew that. And my father was an ex-marine. I was disciplined. This wasn't, you know, throwing things. You had to earn what you got. That's where I come from. You got to earn, but when you earned it, you got it. And when you earn the other way, you got it. Either way, you got it. But every time he came to Florida, I was in that back seat. And every time he went to Israel, or whatever he did, I was always there. So how, no matter how much trauma I went through, how could I step out and hurt the man that loved me? I couldn't. So I did it. And my life changed. And I helped kids. And I don't stop. And my wife wants to like, another thing you're doing? Like, why? And I'm like, every time that man hurt me, I'm building something else. So Moshe Abedin went through the same, much worse than me. Much worse than me. And therefore, that's who he became. Thank you. Is this an invitation for dinner? <laughs> okay, so I want to close. You want to get home and I want to close. So the reason I'm saying this is because of who Moshe was and what Moshe went through. So how did he use this later on? 
when Hashem said, I want to destroy Kleistro because they served the Egel. They served the Egel! I gave them a Torah and they served the Egel! They threw it in my face! Again, no good deed! Nasim and Ishmael, whole thing, I give them the Torah, they come down with the Luchos, and they're dancing. They didn't just serve, they're dancing around the Egel. The reason Hashem was angry was not that they served an Egel, but because they were dancing. You're dancing? You're committing adultery? Because that's what we did, right? We made another Abayi Zarah. Hashem was the Chassan. The Chubu was the Harsinai. Hashem was the Chassan. Kaisal was the Kala. And now you brought another man into the picture? You brought an Egel? You're committing adultery? Okay, you're committing adultery to Navera. Be ashamed of yourself. They're dancing while they're committing adultery. So Hashem says to Moshe Beno, done. I'm wiping them out, and I'm going to make Chai Yisrael from you. And what did he say? Mocheni no misifacha. Erase my name from your Torah. What is he saying? What does that mean? What does that mean, erase my name from the Torah? What's the threat? What does he say? You think he's fighting Hashem? He said to Hashem, well, you're going to do that, and you don't got no books, because my name is not in the books. You're just going to be stuck with voracious. Because I'm in Shemos, I'm in Vayi, No, what he was saying, my name is Moshe. My name is My name is going over Teva and making miracles. Yes, they deserve to be destroyed. But my name, Moshe means that the physical world, it's not what it's all about. Put your hand out. He said it to his Put your hand out. Forgive them. If you can't put your hand out, what's my name doing in the Torah? Mechayin HaMesifachot. Get Moshe out of the Torah. There's two of you, but there's no Moshe in the Torah. What Hashem said? Kidvorech. Salachi Kidvorech. You're saying good. You're saying good. You're right. I'll let them live. Everyone in this room has that power. You don't have to be me, you don't have to be someone else. You have to be you. You have to take your stuff that you went through. You have to use it to help people that are going through the same thing. Because when they see someone that went through the same thing that's successful, that is the greatest lesson that you could ever teach. I was in California five years ago. They asked me to speak to a bunch of girls that were orphans, ages 6 to 16. I was catching a red eye. I said, you know what? My plane's leaving at 11.30. Okay, 5.30, they said, come to this house. We want you to give these girls some physic. I walked into the house. I thought there'd be five girls. There were 23 orphans sitting in that room, ages 6 to 16, in a semicircle. I sat down. I said, okay. I gave them the whole Moshe Rabbeinu drasha. You couldn't talk. You couldn't Look what he became. You know, this is your trauma. It's not your choice. You, you, your parent passed away. You didn't choose that. Now you now it's your choice. What are you going to do with it? Whatever it is. Like, I, I, I know what I'm on. I know what I'm not on. I was on. And there were a few parents there. And there were two kids. There was two parents and accidents, whatever. It was, for me, it was traumatizing. I thought, there'd be a few kids. Shh. I finished the speech. And I said, okay, any questions? There's a little girl. Every time I say it, I see her. A little girl sitting in front of me with these big brown eyes. She looks up at me and she says, Rabbi Wallace, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure, what's your name? Devayri. 
I'm like, Valerie, you are very cute. She goes, thank you very much. I'm like, what is your question? And she looks at me. You know how kids are. They're straight. They're honest. There's no... She says, Rabbi Wallerstein, I'm seven years old. I'm like, that's a cute age. Did you have a mommy when you were seven? She asked me. Now I understood what was going on. I said, yes. Do you still have a mommy? I said, Baruch Hashem. Yes. She goes, oh! I'm like, you don't know my mother. What kind of reaction was that? <laughs> she gets up. They had the candies in the kitchen. She gets up. All the chevra go into the kitchen with the candy. And the older girls are like, thank you, Rabbi It was amazing. We got to do our homework. I lost the whole crowd. I had them. They were in my hands. Within three minutes, there was no one in front of me. I lost the whole crowd. Why? Because what do you talk to us here? You have a mom. You're like, who are you to come talk to us? Like, when do you understand what we went through? I caught the red eye. I came home. I went straight to my father, passed away. His yard side, this, this shit should be a swiss for him. His yard side is, is this is your side in Schlapp. 20 years that I lost him when he was 67. My best friend in the whole world. And I came home. I said, Ma, I got a mom was 6.30 in the morning. I went straight to my mother. I said, Ma, I need to talk to you. What did you do now? <laughs> I said, this one, you're not going to believe. I said, I'm here to ask you, Mechilo, forgiveness. I said, what'd you do? I said, this little girl asked me if I had a mommy when I was seven. I really wish she would have died. <laughs> I so would have liked to have told her, my mommy died when I was two. And then she would have been like, wow, I could be like Rabbi Wallerstein. I said, Mom, I'm so sorry. I didn't want you to die. Don't get me wrong. But at that moment, I wish I could have told her, childbirth. I don't even know who my mother is. She would be like, yay. So then she asked me if you're still alive. And I was like, definitely wanted to say, no, she passed away a while ago. So she looks at me, she goes, you really miss her. <laughs> I'm like, just please be my husband. I, I don't talk for people that I didn't go through the same thing they did anymore. I don't do that. After that, that was it. It's like, who are you to get up and talk to kids about something that they went through that you didn't go through? Well, Shabena went through everything. Everything. He couldn't talk. He was adopted. He was abandoned. He was blamed for everything that went wrong. Went through everything. And therefore, clients were lined up, and Yisrael came and said, you can't talk to everybody. Everyone who had a problem, he was separated from Tzipporah, from his wife. Anyone that had any kind of problem, Moshe Rabbeinu could handle. So the greatest power that a person has is the disabilities and the trauma that's in their backpack. That they could use for others. But if you get depressed and you give up, it's not what Hashem gave it to you. Moshe Rabbeinu seven times said, no, I'm not doing it. And finally Hashem said, Lech, enough, I'm not talking to you anymore. Lech. It could have been Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of Israel, or Moshe Rabbeinu's shawama stand, because he had a lot of lambs, right, out in the Indian desert. Could have had the best shawama stand, or Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference of stepping up with your stuff and stepping out with your stuff. So the people sitting here like, ah, oh, it's great stuff, but like, how do you do this? Like, how do you change? And how do you, people hurt me and I didn't forgive them. How do you change? The Kutzke River says, and this is my last line for tonight. 
He said, what's the distance, what's the distance, I asked this in seminary, what's the distance between east and west? So one girl said, the circumference of the earth is there, and she figured it out, 22,000 miles, and then got some ISIS. And then another girl said, no, it's this and that, and it, it depends, the ocean, and this and that, whatever. I said, what's the difference between north and south? Oh, it's the same thing, but it's the opposite way. This is horizontal, and that's vertical. And my whole seminary, they're all doing their, their, their stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, okay, very nice. I said, you're all wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, the difference between east and west is the turn of your head. West, east. That's it. North, south. That's the whole difference. Think you gotta walk out of here? I got open organization. I got no. You just gotta stretch and put your hand out. Turn your head. Take a look what's going on. Just turn your head. That's the whole distance. Being depressed and being happy, looking south and looking north. I need this and I need that. I can do that. You know, someone just someone told the therapist. He said, you know, I, I tried everything, but if I was on an island by myself, if I went to an island all by myself. I'd be happy. I'd be okay. I think that's what I should do. Buy a ticket, go to an island all by myself. So the therapist said, no, there's one big problem. She says, what's the problem? You're on the island. <laughs> you don't have to do anything major. Just a turn of the head. Just a change of an outlook in life. Just put your hand out. Just put your hand out. God will do the rest. Because you know what? Putting out your hand is a miracle. So for God to do more, to make it stretch, it's a metaphor. It doesn't take anything else. You just have to make the move. And it's Hashem, if we do those changes in our life and we forgive people and we give the time and the love to each other and to our, to our, to our children and to our parents. Don't think, I tell this to kids, you're giving us one speech. Kids are like, don't think a parent doesn't need to hear from a kid I love you. Kids always think my parents have to say it. What about kids telling it to their parents? I don't care how old your parents are. I love you, and that, hey, Dad, Mom, you're the most precious thing I had in my life. You, you know, I'm part of you. I'm a piece of you. You can't divorce a child. Why can't you divorce a child? Because a child is part of you. A child is you after you leave this world. Your child is you and your husband walking the earth. You will always walk the earth. As long as you have children, you will, you will walk the earth. And if you don't have children and you have mice and poison, you're also going to walk the earth. So let's give them time. Hashem gave us time. Let's give our children time. Let's turn our head a little bit. Let, let's forgive. Let's put our hand out. You never know. But we'll all be in Ghana even alive. Because when Mashiach comes, it's Hashem that is Ghana even alive. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.